I'm Tisha Bader, and as we continue to cover the situation in Israel since the brutal Hamas massacre on October the 7th, we turn to a special session held at the United Nations on sexual and gender-based violence during the brutal Hamas terror attack. The initiative for the session was led by Israel's ambassador to the UN, Gilad Erdan, and among the main sponsors was the National Council of Jewish Women. And we are so grateful to have its CEO, Sheila Katz, join us here on JBS to talk about the session and what happened there and the critical importance of it taking place. Sheila, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Of course, you opened your remarks at the session saying, we gathered to convene the hearing that UN Women should have held weeks ago. UN Women is a, is a UN organization that fights for the rights of women, for the safety of women and children, and yet it took them almost two months since the massacre to directly and specifically name and condemn Hamas for what took place and for the sexual violence. Talk for a moment about this silence from UN women specifically and, and the motivation to get this session happening at the UN. Yeah, the silence is unacceptable, truly. National Council of Jewish Women is a United Nations NGO. And we've actually, for, for decades now, been very proud to be there. We know the UN hasn't been the greatest place for Israel, but we've been proud to be there because we have been a part of UN Women. And UN Women has a consistent history of calling out gender-based violence whenever and wherever it happens. Have there been some mistakes here and there? Obviously. But they tend to fix those mistakes quickly and speak with a loud, clear, moral voice. And that is why it was so deeply upsetting when they said absolutely nothing about 1,200 Jews getting murdered and a direct uh, you know, terrorist attack that was impacting women, children, and families. And of course, sexual violence and rape as a tool of war. And so we you know, reached out pretty quickly when we noticed that they hadn't said something. Our assumption at first was, oh, we must have missed it. Like we really thought it was it was going to be said because this is not complicated, right? Rape is rape. And raping Israeli women is bad. Raping anyone is bad. And it, it, if people can't say that, they're not feminists. The end. And so we've been pretty angry about how long it took. We, of course, applaud them now for speaking out. We want everyone and anyone to speak out if they've waited, um, but it should not have taken this long. And, and we just felt the need, if they were not going to step up and do their job, to present the testimony about how these women spent the last moments of their lives so that it went without saying ever again anymore that in the halls of the United Nations, we spoke up for these Israeli women and um, and and I think it was very important that we did it. I wish we didn't have to, but I'm glad that we did. Absolutely. So, what happened when you did reach out to UN Women? Was there just no response, or because I I mean I I looked for in my own eyes, I wanted to see like did they say nothing? What did they say? And like on October the 14th, they condemned attacks on civilians in Israel and the Palestinian territories. Is what they said. Nothing about Hamas. Nothing about you know the 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 murder of 1200 people very tepid kind of generic statement and and then from then most of the statements have been about Palestinians in Gaza which of course is of great concern but very very little 
about Israel exactly. until just just until just days ago. So were you met with that same kind of tepid, generic response from them or or what was that? Yeah, we didn't really hear much back, uh, which is why we started to move from private to public. And we sent uh, a letter basically responding to their lack of response, saying why this was a, a women's issue, why it was gender-based violence, what we knew about the situation that day, the intentionality in attacking women. And of course, we said the same thing. We, you know, They should be commenting on what's happening in Gaza. These aren't, if you comment on one, you can't comment on the other, right? There is a humanitarian crisis that disproportionately impacts women and children that's happening there. Go make all the comments you want, you, know, you and women, right? And you also have to comment on what happened to Israeli women. And so the only thing I can come up with is that UN Women has a very loud voice when women around the world are harmed, unless they're Israeli. Um, and that to me sounds like anti-Semitism. And so that's why it's so important that first and foremost, we address that, you know, them speaking out was step one, but we're, we're not done in navigating what needs to be navigated. But most importantly, most importantly, we wanted to make sure the evidence and the testimony around sexual assault was shared at the United Nations. There were 42 countries represented in the special session we held in addition to Israel. And and I hope I hope, if anything, giving voice to these women will help us make sure that this doesn't happen again. Absolutely. And Sheila, I want to get to some of what was heard in the session. Um, you you gave the opening remarks and I just want to quote from your speech um, here. You said, when evidence emerged indicating the use of rape as a weapon of war by Hamas, the voices we expected to speak up fell into the loudest silence we could have imagined. You said, when people use the language of feminism while brushing aside gender-based violence because of the identity of the victims, they're sending a clear signal that women's rights are negotiable, that rape is sometimes okay, that some women have more dignity than others. That's more than hypocrisy. It's a betrayal of all women because when our agency can be traded away, none of us are safe. I, I mean, I feel this. And I'll just say here, I spent most of my career working at Hillel and, you know, which is uh, and on campuses. And I ended up becoming a rape crisis counselor as a result of working with so many students who were survivors of sexual assault. 20% of women in the United States are survivors of sexual assault, a statistic that is way too high and has been this high for a very long time, um, predominantly happening on the college campus. And so I have been with people after they have been assaulted. I have walked people into the emergency room to get rape kits. I have sat with them on their healing journey. And what I know from all of this is yes, bad things happen to women all the time, everywhere. And it's so unfortunate. It doesn't magically happen. There are perpetrators, which is why it's important. In this case, Hamas is always named because gender-based violence doesn't just happen by no one. It happens by someone and we have to own that. But the thing particularly in having been a rape crisis counselor and working with so many young women that I know is that if when somebody shares they've been assaulted to somebody that they trust, if the first words out of their mouth are, I believe you, they are less likely to die by suicide. They're less likely to have long-term challenging impact around mental health issues, right? There is actually proven data 
that says when you believe people and you hold their story, that they can go on and have a more successful life. And what I saw happen in Israel was similar to what I've seen happen to so many individuals. It was a collective gaslighting of Jewish women and Israeli women and saying, no, that didn't happen, right? Prove it. That is not what we want to start having the conversation be because it takes us it takes us so far backward. We have fought so hard to get to this point. We're so much better off now than we were decades ago. We can't turn back, not for the women in Israel, not for Jewish women who are on college campuses, not for anyone who has experienced sexual violence. And so I think that's why it's so important we're holding up the mirror right now because we won't accept anything less than people naming fully that Hamas used raped as a tool of war on October 7th in Israel, and that that is unacceptable. So critically important, as you said, and you had some um, amazing speakers at the session. You had Sheryl Sandberg, you had Hillary Clinton uh, on video, you had Kristen Gillibrand, among many others who raised their voices, as you said, and testimony from people in the IDF, from Israel police, who people at the morgue for the IDF, who tragically had to witness these atrocities with their own eyes and shared information for those who were gathered at the UN session. And without going into any any graphic detail, can you just talk a bit about what the atmosphere was like in the room, how people responded to some of those testimonies, which I know you, you warned people ahead of time that this is going to be hard. This is going to be awful and you may have to leave the room. Um, but just give us a sense of what that room felt like in those moments that are so, so painful and, and difficult. Yeah. I mean, it's still hard for me to process. And I'm a trauma counselor. It, it, this was intense. And I think that's what we got to bear witness in that day. Like the people who are sharing this testimony were, especially there was one person in particular who was visibly um, kind of struggling to get through sharing it out loud. And what he didn't say, like there was a moment he paused and just kind of couldn't get through the rest. And we waited and we're very respectful about that because this is difficult. This is hard. And it was absolutely brutal and grotesque what Hamas did um, on October 7th to so many people. And that moment where he had to stop himself. Again, I, I talked about the UN women and that loud silence. There was a different kind of loud silence there because we were able to feel that pain that somebody who is a trained professional who goes through this, somebody who sometimes sees people who are dead, sometimes who who somebody who sees people in these awful moments, that this was something extraordinarily different that required us to call out over and over and over again. So I think what we learned clearly that day is that this was premeditated, targeting women, and raping them was a part of the plan of Hamas. Mutilating bodies was a part of the plan of Hamas. Shooting people in their genitals was a part of the plan of Hamas. And hurting people in the most um, challenging of ways, some of which are hard to say out loud, um, and making them suffer before they were killed, that was a part of the plan. And we can't allow for that to be ever normalized. And so it was, uh, I was sitting in the front and I could see the whole room, which was powerful in itself. 
I could see a lot of people crying. I could see a lot of people crying because that's what it means to be human in this moment. And I think we're trying to respond to the worst of humanity with the best of humanity. We're trying to bring back dignity that was taken away from these women by Hamas and then taken away again by the rest of the world as they ignored them. And, and we just felt the need to be their voice. Thank you for being there, for doing this, because it, it, it is excruciating. I'm sure it was just so difficult to sit and hear and listen, but so important to bear witness, as you said. And Sheila, you know, the thing I, I talk to my friends and family about is that this is an ongoing thing. There are 138 hostages still being held by Hamas and Gaza. And we are hearing from the hostages who have been released that there are continual acts against them. And it, it's clear that that would be going on. And minutes are going by, hours are going by, days are going by, and not just to the women. There have also been reports of, of sexual assault or harm happening to the men being held. So this is an ongoing nightmare. And I know that you yourself have um, or had people, perhaps some of whom have been released um, that were being held. And I wonder if you can just share some of what you've been going through and that experience with us, um, which I know has yeah. been so heartbreaking. Yeah, I mean, my heart is with everyone who's been navigating this. Most Jews I know either know somebody who died on October 7th or know someone who knows someone and they know someone who's a hostage or they know someone who knows someone. It's a reminder that we're a small people and uh, you know, more than half of us live in Israel. So this was an attack on all of us. Uh, yeah, my, one of my mentors, Vivian Silver, who I think got a lot of coverage, we had thought she was a hostage, the founder of Women Wage Peace. Um, it ended up that she was killed on October 7th. Um, they didn't so sorry. know her body was there until weeks and weeks later, and they found enough um, DNA to identify her. And um, one of my best friend's families, uh, they, uh, her her five family members, um, were, weren't heard from after October 7th. We learned, we thought they were all hostages. We learned that two of them, Carmela and Noya Dan, um, were killed. A uh, grandmother and a granddaughter were killed together on October 7th. And we learned then that three were taken hostage, a 12-year-old boy, a 16-year-old girl, and their father. And Erez and Sahar, 12-year-olds and 16-year-olds, were released uh, recently, uh, thank goodness, and are back with their mother. And Ofer is still a hostage. And I want to say this really clearly, especially from a women's organization. I understand and can appreciate that the world has a lot of empathy for children and for women. But National Council of Jewish Women isn't going to stop until every single hostage is out. And we actually need to be speaking up for male hostages to be released. No one deserves to not have that kind of bodily autonomy. Nobody deserves to be held in captive. And so there are still children and women being held. And it has been pointed out that the women who have not been released are ones that have shown the greatest signs of distress as uh, before being held. And there might be a correlation to that. And we need to work to release everyone, including men. And so I, I think we've got a lot of work ahead of us. 
um, for every hostage to be released. We have a lot of work ahead of us to make sure that people condemn rape as a tool of war, which I never thought we'd have to work to do, but we do. And we have a lot of work ahead of us to ensure that we're combating anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism as a result of this all over the world. So since the session, Sheila, have you seen or heard responses from women's groups that have not been vocal until now? Yes. And it's a nice sign of hope in a way. We actually invited a lot of feminist groups to come to October 7th, to uh, to come to the hearing on October 7th. And a lot who couldn't come watched the live stream. Um, But we were we were really heartened and we're going to celebrate the wins when we have them that Planned Parenthood did take out a statement the next day after the hearing, calling out uh, rape as a tool of war by Hamas in Israel and uh, talking about that in the context of bodily autonomy and their work uh, for bodily autonomy. And we're grateful that they made that statement. We're hearing that other groups may be working towards that as well and are actively encouraging feminist groups to watch the testimony that we did at the United Nations on Monday and reconsider or consider for the first time taking out a statement. So I hope we see more as we're moving forward. And we're also grateful that the president of the United States, President Biden, took out a statement following the UN session calling out sexual assault and rape as a tool of war by Hamas. We just heard from some of uh, the presidents of the top universities in the country um, at a congressional hearing asked point blank, um, is calling for the genocide of the Jewish people in violation of your code of conduct. And and the answer was something like, it depends on the context. They were like, yes, but. Um, and, and as you mentioned before, you worked for Hillel for many years. How do you sort of respond or wrap your head around what we're seeing on college campuses today? Well, what I can say about the testimony that we heard from these university presidents that don't think threatening to kill people is actually something worthy of addressing is that it's a failure of moral leadership. And so I question them in these roles. I question what they're doing running a university. If you can't keep students safe, you don't deserve to be in those positions. Sheila, um, before we let you go, um, just wanted to ask how you are how you are doing i know you were featured on a program from sapir on jbs and you were just talking about the the emotional toll and the mental toll that this is taking as you said we all know someone and if we don't know someone personally we we are connected as the jewish people to each and every person in in the state of israel and our hearts are are with them at this time when we're not even allowed to grieve the incredible loss of october the 7th there is ongoing grief and mourning and pain being experienced um, by our people. So yeah. just, just wanted I mean, your thoughts on. Thank you. And what I can say is we are all in trauma. We are all experiencing either firsthand or secondary trauma right now. And, it, and we have to name it because it actually can help us to understand things in our bodies might be different and and our and it might be difficult to sleep and we might be feeling emotional in different ways and that's all normal um we experienced an attack on jewish people an attack on israel and you know i said this recently to a group of people i know the world didn't have empathy for what happened on that day because i can't name anyone else who was killed on October 7th, other than the people I know, because it fell out of the headlines 
outside of Israel so quickly. And that's not what happens when a terrorist attack happens and you care about the people. So we all first have to take care of ourselves and people don't have to put themselves in this position to be the ones who are fighting if they need to take time for themselves, especially to women who have been sexually assaulted. I really wanna say it is okay to turn that TV off. It is okay to not engage on this. We've got lots of people talking about rape, sharing images that are graphic and disturbing a lot and is very, very triggering to people who have been through it. And a lot of people who are survivors of sexual assault are around people who don't know that they're survivors. So we can all do a really good thing by actually assuming there are people who are survivors of assault that we love that we might not know have been through that. So we can talk about this with sensitivity and compassion and love. And, um, and gosh, yeah, I, I'm not going to say I'm doing well. I'm not. I feel I'm grateful to have a job in which I can engage on this so that I can feel I'm being productive in some kind of way. And I think the Jewish community needs each other more than ever. Going to the United Nations on Monday in a room that was packed, like we had, we might have violated the fire code. I'm not sure. We, we got everyone in there that we could get in there. We had to turn away. We had hundreds of people who wanted to come that RSVP that we couldn't get in. We could have filled you know, many, many, many more rooms. Why did so many people want to come to your testimony on sexual assault? It wasn't because we desperately wanted to hear that. It's because we wanted to be together in our pain. We wanted to be around people who could validate that what we were feeling was right and correct and okay. And it felt freeing in a way to be there with so many people who cared. So I think we just have to continue to take care of ourselves, take care of each other, um, expand our tents in the Jewish community and make sure we're welcoming people and uh, who, who need each other right now. And, and if I may, I just want to say the last thing, because you started by talking about Ambassador Gilad Erdan, and it's important for me to say this. Um, it shouldn't only be women who are speaking out about this. And I feel like, to be honest, so incredibly appreciative of his leadership, of saying that he wanted to do this, of making this happen, of bringing the experts together giving some of us a platform, it, it's very rare. It, it's very rare and it should not be rare. And so to the men out there, I hope you get to follow in Ambassador Erdogan's leadership um, to be calling out sexual assault, to be showing up and speaking out about this. This is not a women's issue. This is an issue around our humanity and we need every single voice we can get at the table. 100%. Sheila, thank you so much for being one of those leading voices. And I hope that the work that you do and have done, the voices that were shared at the UN show results, show meet more people being aware and perhaps responsive. And as you said, bearing witness and telling these women, many of whom are no longer with us from that brutal day, that we believe them, that we are sharing their stories and that it is unacceptable is, is truly so, so important and valuable. So thank you so much to you and the National Council of Jewish Women. Thank you for having me. Sheila Katz, the CEO of the National Council of Jewish Women. Thank you so much. And thank you for watching JVS. Mm -hmm.